0: Hello, and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Miss Melboy. I am mister Craigers. And it is episode 29, we're getting up there, um, in which we will be discussing our favorite and least favorite horror film adaptations. Uh, we were away for a bit because life and Craig was, like, in Viking land, um... (laughs) But we are back with we've been wanting to do this one for a little bit now. Um and we've talked about it kind of like in spots here and there, doing other topics, but we decided to devote a whole thing to it since Craig still has to watch the most recent episode of Twin Peaks before we do a like mid season Twin Peaks episode.
1: Twin Peaks. Mid ish season. But just how good has Twin Peaks been though? <sighs> just in general. God. God. Look at that Malbert. Faces stone. Faces stone. Oh, what an adorable little Molly crew. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really solid and I'm really looking forward to our sort of midway review episode for that. I think it'll be good.
0: Which I imagine will probably be
1: two hours once again.
0: It'll be two hours, even though it. we're gonna say we're gonna try not to have
1: it be that long, you we were so self conscious about that, but apparently it didn't matter.
0: Yeah, that was uh, a pretty well viewed listen to, I suppose. Episode <laughs> viewed, I
1: don't know. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Speaking of being self conscious, hold the phone. I so remember on the last episode when I apologized for being. A complete and total tool and saying and stuff or whatever seven billion times <laughs> yeah. in the previous episode. Yes. Well, then I made that apology and then proceeded to say and stuff or whatever like another 19 times in that episode. I, ju- I can't stop myself.
0: It's, you know, it's who you are, it's who you were meant to be. Eric has pointed out something. the reasons behind this, the genetic <laughs> disposition. <laughs> i can't fight my dna um i am my hair she would be proud um yeah it's like how i uh, philadelphians in general tack on you know to the end of sentences even if it's a statement they like phrase it as a question (laughs) they're like yeah i really liked it you know like it's just a thing or, um, well, you
1: just want you want to know if people do know. When
0: I I have to stop myself from putting A at the end of sentences, because I know I'm going to get made fun of, but it's, like, mentally something I've picked up. Um, so, you, you know.
1: You you know.
0: It. Yeah, and stuff or whatever. And stuff or whatever. So, yeah, you're going to be hearing a lot of that um, going forward and, you know, going, going back f- and looking
1: at... I... What I need to do is stop listening to our past episodes, but we're just so damn good at what we, we do. Yeah, we just like to
0: hear ourselves talk. <laughs> <laughs> so much so that we recorded it under and, and, and put it up under the guise that we wanted other people to hear it, but really we just wanted to be able to hear it.
1: I actually don't talk. know why I do that because I hate hearing myself on recordings.
0: I don't listen. Um I when I go to edit them, I listen to the bare minimum that I have to That you have to. <laughs> to. Yeah,
1: that makes that makes total sense.
0: And then I just pretend it never
1: you know. Well, the worst fact I ever learned in my entire life was that the voice that you hear on recordings or videotape of yourself is what you sound to other, what you sound like to other people.
0: Yeah, you don't sound like the voice in your head,
1: which and is I'm not
0: like, the voice in my head is not the same as the one you're hearing now. I'm going to tell you right now, it's like very different <laughs> in my brain.
1: The voice in your head is like. <laughs> <laughs> it. The There's works. like that um. Was that Family Guy joke where Peter's playing the maracas in some band, <laughs> and he starts wondering about what's the baby in the maracas, and the it's baby <laughs> bones? <Yeah. laughs>
0: and he's like, Peter, were you thinking about oh, getting babies? Thinking... No. <laughs> and then the one where they hypnotize Peter and he goes back too far, and he's like,
1: I have seen the seven gates of the Lord's <laughs> order. Yes, exactly, exactly. And right. they're like, Oh, too far, too far! Bring it back! Bring it back! Bring it back! That's just our the voices in our heads every day
0: yes, that's what I sound like to myself It's you know like Beelzebub yeah, so
1: that's right yeah. that's right <sighs> all right, so let's see what's been going on in the world of horror um you got a horror headline um here.
0: well, as we all know yet another saw film is coming out uh yes tell us about that hashtag jigsaw um they ooh, whoops they released the poster for it this past week um yeah. and it looks exactly as you'd expect it to look um yeah they just they're just gonna keep you know chugging away at these things there's not a lot of plot detail with this one um yeah. i think they're trying to be a little bit like secretive about it. Um.
1: I have this feeling that it's going to do really well because there's been such a gap between yeah. the last one and this one that I feel like people are...
0: well, the They're premise, like, okay,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll go for another one.
0: The only real premise that they gave with this is that it takes place about a, a, ten years after um, the seventh. seventh one. Um. Right, we're at eight, yeah. right? Yeah, seventh one. Um, where somebody kind of is like a a copycat, jigsaw. Um,
1: that makes sense because I feel like I read something about in in the time that has elapsed. There's been some sort of like jigsaw cult has developed, yeah.
0: which the poster like would make sense. Like it totally is like a a cult altar looking type picture in the poster but it also like recalls like traditional Saul imagery so that's nice so it seems like they're trying to do something different than just showing us more torture porn for another 90 minutes or so um
1: right i have a feeling it's it's going to do well and it's going to resonate mm-hmm. especially if they tap into sort of more of the, the mythology That was present in the first three and bringing more, like, bringing more of his philosophy out, right? Yeah, because
0: once they started adding the apprentices and then making traps that you couldn't escape from. And it
1: just, yeah, it just kind of became, like, what's the most creative way we can kill people with iron and steel? Yeah. But, I mean, think about it, you know, his whole thing was punishing people who escaped the system, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, of course, it was fucked up because he was deciding who those people were. But yeah, I think the thing that just that puts you in an awkward position so much in the Saw films is that you tend to agree with the um that uh, weird, twisted sense of
0: yeah, the kind justice of just he has the you objective know? like look at right. like this is what you did, this is what you now need to do to
1: to prove that you are worthy yeah. of being alive and it's like it's and I feel up, like but so many people in our society right now are feeling that there are people who are getting away with things that they shouldn't be getting away with mm-hmm. and people who are doing things in which there are no consequences and no punishment you know, so I think I, it could really resonate
0: I know a lot of people voted for Trump a lot of people voted for Hillary I don't know anyone who voted for Ivanka Trump who, in her unofficial capacity of being anything ever, has stood in for, uh-huh. for Mr. Donald a few times. Well I passed a car on my way home from the gym this morning that was a giant, massive red and white truck. That, in the bed of it, they had put, like, a giant flagpole with an with American flag, and on the side, like, Trump was written in giant words. And on the back, it said, like, God bless America and support the troops and all this stuff, which is fine, mm-hmm. but... Bye. No, it's fine. The sentiment is fine. stop. No. not Stop it.
1: But
0: no one wants to be patriotic right now.
1: It's a little extra. Yeah, so,
0: you know, there's that. But uh, Jigsaw, yes. Uh, it was under the title originally of Saul Legacy,
1: so that makes sense. Yeah, um, I saw
0: that they changed it. But, yeah, definitely. And that also, I feel
1: like is saying to me that they're going to take it in a new direction. Yeah, like, it feels I feel kind like of like really a, a reboot thinking about this one.
0: A reboot type deal, Um, kind of like a better version of like what you know, like how Terminator Genesis tried to like reboot the franchise in a way where it was like the same but different. We are going to do that, hopefully with a bit more success with Jigsaw. 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 And he is in the movie, so yes, he Sparkling is. Super Ted. Way dead, way dead.
1: Do whatever you want. I'm
0: super dead. I'm super dead. So yeah, that is my horror headline.
1: I like it. I like it. Um, I saw. I read today, (laughs) which (laughs) wasn't. I saw and read today. Go figure. That um, Alexander Aha. Okay. Uh, horror director, mm-hmm. um, done a couple couple hits, um, like um, The Hills Have Eyes remake, and Piranha, Sunshine. and um, a couple smaller, low-budget films that are still also really good, like The Woman, is Ooh. teaming up with Robert Englund the to town. Um, create a virtual reality series called Campfire Creepers. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be... Um, I don't know a virtual reality immersive sort of game show live action anthology. What the uh, hell? Thing, yeah. They said it's going to be inspired and sort of they want to communicate the tone of cult classics like Creepshow and Tales from the Crypt, mm-hmm. and it's going to be episodic immersive content to pull in like viewers to VR, to virtual reality. Um, and Robert Englund is guest-starring in one of the episodes. Um, someone asked, I think, if he was guest-starring as Freddy Krueger, and he was being very coy about it. So mm-hmm. we'll see about that. Um, and they're hoping to release it um, around Halloween. Nice. So I thought that was interesting. It's the talk of the town. Yeah, about Robert Englund. I don't know if he could play Freddy Krueger outside of a – if it's not universal property, because they own the yeah. character,
0: yeah, the trademark of the character.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. Well. So, thought that was interesting. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I know. I'm interested. To I mean, see if I'm going to do virtual reality, I'm probably going to do that.
0: <coughs> um. I also would, yeah, no, I would not be doing it on my. I had a friend who has a VR system, and he like would constantly invite me over to play, and I'd be like, I'm, I'm, good. I'm you're, you're, I'm good. I'm <laughs> a Um. Yeah. No, that sounds interesting. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, other than that, I don't think there's really there's no other movies really coming out. Um yeah (laughs) i got nothing until halloween that's it that's all that's all that happens (laughs) um but yeah so we can get into the the main discussion now of horror adaptations specifically to film uh if we want to get super obscure one day maybe we'll do like plays and (laughs) operettas and songs
1: oh the dracula ballet is being performed um And on Halloween in Pittsburgh,
0: I saw the Dracula play um, in a regional theater in my area when I was in high school around Halloween. It was very good.
1: We read it as a class in drama in high school one yeah. year. That was pretty cool. That was yeah. fun. Nice. Oh, yeah. Drac, little Drac, little Drac.
0: Um, yes. So I guess we should start with. we am gonna start with
1: best, and then go into.
0: The really yeah,
1: ones. <laughs> ones we like than ones we yeah don't like so much.
0: The interesting thing I have with some of them is, I the thing about adaptations and and stuff like that. And I have this specifically with, and I'm not going to bring this up because it's not a movie, but like with something like Phantom of the Opera, where I see it as two different entities, right? Like the book and the and the musical artists are different,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I like them in their separate worlds. Yes. Um, Sometimes I feel like that's the case with horror adaptations, Um, or any adaptation, really. Yeah. But um,
1: yeah, like I feel that way about The Shining.
0: Yeah, that was yeah. We can go into that because that was the first one that I I had on my list. Um, where it is so different from the book, but in a it just exists in a different theme and a different motif and tone. Yeah, but I love them both. Yes. So, The Shining, as written by Stephen King, as directed by Stanley Kubrick. Um, if you watch the great documentary on Netflix, uh, you will find out all about how The Shining film is actually about him taking the moon landing um, and a couple other things. Um, but The Shining, the nineteen eighty film was a psychological thriller about a family that moves to and this is true enough for the book as well a a family that for the winter decides to spend their winter in a remote hotel in Colorado as the caretakers um in the off season um and they're kind of up there without much contact they can get down to like boulder sometimes if the roads are good and um they're really not going to have like contact with anyone until the spring when um the the chef and the janitor and everyone comes back um and the manager Which
1: gonna... in the current state of affairs this sounds like the greatest arrangement in the world. <laughs> yeah. <was> like, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um it was like, do, If anyone has like, you know, well, a like, like, you hotel see... out there that you need someone to manage, I'm I'm volunteering. They had um
0: they found a sunspot on the sun that was like the exact size of Earth, and everyone was like, "That's we, that's our hole. That's for us." And everyone's like, "Oh, <laughs> jump into the sun for like ninety nine cents. That's ours." Um, but yes, yeah, so they go up into this remote thing, and it's a place where they kind of want to like restart everything because Jack Torrance, uh, our our MC. Uh, is a struggling writer, um, a teacher of English who basically has a history of alcoholism and during one of his bouts he broke his son's arm, uh, by accident when he got a little too angry with him, so he's trying to, like, repair his family stuff, um, you know, his wife is, it was actually just recently Shelley Duval's birthday, actually.
1: Happy um, birthday! Happy birthday, Shells. Shell.
0: Um, so hi, he,
1: I'm Shelly Duvall. Big, <laughs> fucking <deal. laughs> big fucking deal. Big fucking deal.
0: So they go up there, and basically, cabin fever starts to set in. But there's also some unsettling sort of presence in the hotel, um, and this is kind of where the book and the movie veer off.
1: Mm-hmm. Very um, much so
0: yeah so the movie is more about the cabin fever and the psychology being there as an explanation for all the things that jack's seeing jack's thinking jack's going through also you know he's played by jack nicholson who is a nut to begin with so by the time he's on screen for three seconds you're automatically assuming there's something off about his character in the book it's the element of you know isolationism is still there but it's all very explicitly supernatural
1: uh, do you have thoughts yeah I well so tell me not which not which do you like better because we've established that we, we both love both mm-hmm. but which explanation do you enjoy more I love like when the book makes it clearly paranormal or do you like how the movie leaves it? In question.
0: So I love shit like psychological shit like that where it's like you're not sure. Like that's what I loved about The Witch was the fact that it was never really clear if something was actually there or it was the family's Puritan, you know, paranoia. Like I like things like that. Yeah, Yeah. I like things like that because it makes a statement on, you know, different things. Like in this case, it's Jack's just innate addiction and and alcoholism and it's like was that the thing that was manifesting you know his his guilt and his anger at his wife for like not forgiving him for for his his transgressions or you know was it something really there i like when you get to kind of play with that and the thing that you think you know the the ghosts that you you think are, are following you around or haunting you or you know your your own personal demons Um, So I really enjoy that explanation. That being said, you know, when the time and the place is for paranormal, supernatural stuff, I love that too. So, Mm -hmm. But I think what Kubrick did with his rendition of their family drama was really, really good.
1: Nice. Yeah, thank you. Nice, yeah. And I I feel like I agree, more or less. Uh I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting in terms of uh, for the film, the weird note that it ends on, mm, yeah, Pittsburgh not committing to one explanation or another,
0: yeah,
1: and Jack's portrayal being clearly unhinged before they even get to the overlook that sort of storytelling trick or not trick, but mm-hmm. that method of telling a story like this tactic. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I think is really interesting because so many other films have used that same tactic since The Shining, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like paranormal films and paranormal novels. And they're always giving you the, is it psychological? Is it supernatural? Is it both? Is it neither? And and it's not that The Shining was the first to do this. But I think it just made it really, really notable. And you see it a lot more in horror movies post-1980. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting because um, Stephen King does not like
1: it. He hates it. He hates it. To the point, to to the effect that he actually made his own. Yeah. The other adaptation of his novel. Yes. The the mini-series of The Shining. mm, Came out in the nineties, ninety. Oh, it was definitely nineties. Can't remember, but uh, that's when uh, Gary Sinise plays. No, not Gary Sinise. Um, uh, what's his face plays Jack, and um, Jack Nicholson. No, oh, in in the miniseries. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't. And it's um, well, according to Stephen King, and and he's kind of right. It's a lot more faithful of mm-hmm. an adaptation. Um, they include the... I, what I really like about the miniseries it, that I wish Kubrick would have done, but I get why it really wasn't in the tone he was going for, was the inclusion of the topiary animals. Yeah. Yeah. that scene is fucking terrifying. It was
0: terrifying in the books. That being said, the way the hedge maze happens in Kubrick's version is... I remember the first time I saw The Shining, that was the only part that I had seen. I was a kid and my mom was watching it on TV and she was trying to explain to me what was going on because I was at the part where Danny's like stepping back in his own steps in the snow to like, you know, yes, double back. So- yeah. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? And she like explained to me, the child, like what he was doing. And I was like watching Jack Nicholson like chase him like with an axe through the hedge maids. And I was like, This is terrifying, and I don't know what's happening. And I'm like, eight. Um
1: <laughs> so
0: <And she sighs> Yeah, so what they did instead definitely worked for the tone. That being it said, works. the in the book, the hedge maids animals, like they just not the maze, but the hedge animals are terrifying.
1: They're totally terrifying. And um another another good kind of little moment scene that's in the novel that they that's in the miniseries but not the film is um with the hornets nest.
0: Yes. Oh my that, god. That was Jack like Jack is yeah. repairing
1: the roof. Yeah. That that's was really... weirdly
0: passively delayed, scary nonsense.
1: <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah, so Yeah, good. good.
0: It's interesting cuz it's it's good. It's a great one. It's just very different from its source material. In mm-hmm. terms of tone and and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and very divisive. Yeah. Um for many, many different reasons. Yeah. We're we're like we're so boring. We're like,
0: "Oh, we love it all." Oh, it's okay. so good. I'm going to be I'm going to be yeah. <laughs> going to be correct about everything I say. Yeah.
1: Um, don't yeah. worry, we'll be ripping things to shreds. Oh, soon. I've
0: got some
1: on my list of things <laughs> that are going to get not so great. Not great um, at all. Oh. But I think you were up. If you've got one. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course. I definitely thought of the shining and a couple mm-hmm. others that I know we had sort of talked about before. So I wanted to bring up, um, an adaptation that I really like that probably mentioned in passing, but not, not really talked about on any prior episodes. And that is um, The Innocence. Ooh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah! Which is, if for those Turn of you that screw. don't know, yes, the um, original 1961 adaptation of Henry James's novel, The Turn of the Screw. And um, I... Well, I really like this movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think this is one of the, like, really well done in specific kind of adaptations where the filmmakers add their own touch to the story and, but without detracting anything from the source material. Yeah. Um, they did that or that they, they just do a really good job of doing that. Like you can tell they have a real understanding of the ambiguity mm-hmm. of the turn of the screw, which is so essential to that story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, all right, so the turn to screw, the original um, 1899,
0: 1898. 93? Three. 98. In the 1890s. <laughs> in the late 20th century. In the 19th, 19th century. century. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, 90s, I don't know. It might have come Centuries. out. Numbers.
1: <sighs> stop coming to this podcast for facts. For come historical historical dates. here for blabber dates. <laughs> Um, it's considered one of the greatest ghost stories ever written, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because it might not be a ghost story at all. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the question mark surrounding that forces you, the reader, to be a very, very active participant in what's going on during the, um, the events of the story. Mm-hmm. So James is really good at that great, you know, um tactic here we go again tactic used in horror in terms of making the reader the viewer the participant imagine the the evil behind the screen to imagine what's in the darkness rather than spelling it out for you um so james does a very good job of that in the novel in a literal sense uh we are folk the story focuses on two children living in a country estate miles and flora Uh, They're left there by a very neglectful uncle after the death of their parents, and they just have the servants to keep them company. And when the new governess arrives, she begins to suspect that they have been corrupted and uh, sexually abused by two of the prior servants. Now, those two prior servants are dead under unexplained, mysterious circumstances, And the question arises, if these two servants have returned as ghosts to continue their corruption of the children, the quote-unquote innocence, as the title was changed to for the movie. The aforementioned
0: innocence.
1: The aforementioned (sighs) innocence. Right, innocence, C-E-N-T-S, not innocence, C-E-N-C-E, the concept. (laughs) Yes, that is, yes. (laughs) Even though the concept is involved. Now, so now. the new governess now, is there and um, she never sees the terrible things happening and the children, but she, she sort of sees like the byproducts of these strange occurrences and the children never really admit to anything strange going on. The housekeeper becomes sort of a quasi ally. She's like, yeah, things aren't right. Then we start learning some things about our governess character that makes us think, She might be projecting all of this, like her own psychological fears of isolation and etc. etc. Now, and from an objective standpoint, it does like the children are behaving oddly, but does it justify her hysteria? Does it justify um, the course of action that things eventually take? which is not good surprisingly because it's a horror story. Mm-hmm. So the movie um which Wait, what did I say? 196 nine, Yeah, 19 Oh, listen. Yeah, was 1961. <sighs> 1961. Yes, right after Psycho. Um was uh, a part of what started that British new wave, right. For cinematic realism. That was a big deal. The innocence was a big, um, part of that movement It had a lot of talent involved. Um, Truman Capote was attached to it at one point. It was said to have been an influence on the movie. It's pretty faithful as far as adaptations go. Um, like in the novel, it, I don't know if it's explicitly stated or if it just becomes heavily implied that the, um, the two prior servants were having an affair and the, uh, and the movie, this, this, this comes out like right away, like that's established and, uh, the possibility of the sexual abuse is there, which was a very interesting thing to do in a, in a movie during the sixties, um, uh, especially the early sixties. Mm-hmm. So, I like the faithfulness. I like that the movie makes things a bit more explicit um, about what's going on. I like that we get to know the governess character better. Deborah Kerr plays the main character, the governess, that we get, um, we sort of up the psychological horror portion of the story through getting to know her better. It's beautifully filmed so that we, the audience, are, we're, we're not even able to trust the camera or what we're seeing on the screen. Yes, we supposedly see the ghosts, but mm. at the same time it's undermining the possibility that what the children are seeing, what the governess is experiencing isn't real. And then you, the viewer are put in that position where you start questioning what's real. And that's, that's a hard, th- this is a hard story to adapt to the screen and it's impressive to me that The Innocence pulls it off so well. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Do, yeah. I, do you oh. remember that we watched this in... We watched a clip of The Innocence in uh, Tyler Bickford's class? I probably blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> you were on Pottermore that day. I was
0: on Pottermore that day, definitely. Uh, and or uh, online shopping. Um yeah, and it's it's cool too because it's like the the novella itself is like one of the most influential like pieces of like not even horror or you know if you want to categorize it as horror if you see it that way but like just gothic fiction um, it's been utilized in like things that you know like dark shadows like it it was part of yeah. like it it, it helped inform that like it's just shown up in so many odd places um, and I um, haunting of hill house um, that entire idea of terror versus horror um, comes from the turn of the screw um, so it's not surprising then that there's only really one adaptation of it I mean there have been plenty of adaptations of it but there's only really like one I mean there's yeah. there's 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 only one but there's others. But there's,
1: there's yeah. There, I mean, there's a couple other movies. Um, the others, most I think there's a play recently
0: tried it um, with Nicole Kidman, and I do like the others. It it yeah. It was really good. It turned out really well. It was a very creepy movie. Um, it definitely was very different from the novella in terms of plot, um, but the kind of idea of you know something unsettling in the domestic home with the children. Um, comes across the explanation for why the children are behaving the way they behave in that movie is very different. Um, Mm -hmm. it has less of the sort of like analytic punch that you get with turn of the screw. Like there's not as much to dissect in the others, but it was a very entertaining movie.
1: Yes. The others, I think from a filmmaking perspective looks to the innocence a lot. Yeah. Like both of those movies are really good at using sound. Um, like, uh, in The innocence there's, um, when the governess is always startled by the sound of the wind, mm-hmm. and whenever she has unpleasant realizations, like, or when the ghosts supposedly appear, there's always, um, buzzing insects in the background. Yeah. Like, those small touches are, um, have been borrowed a lot. Oh, yeah. A ton. Um, yeah. And, um... The way they film the final scene, the sort of final confrontation between Miles and the governess out in the courtyard and the use of the shadow and and quick smash cuts is is really, really interesting. And whatever – it's great because whatever really happens and you don't – the movie like its source does not give you a concrete explanation. Like whether the ghosts are real or not, it's still a ghost story. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Uh. it's kind of um, you know what actually, it's a book. It's actually a short story, I guess technically, or novella. Kind of took some things from *Turn of the Screw*. In that sense, was Gillian Flynn's um,
1: oh the grown up
0: short story *The Grown Up*, which is a very similar present uh, uh, presence, a very similar um, premise. All these Mm. words, Um, (laughs) words. I don't know. I have a degree. Um,
1: in words wordsmithing
0: about this woman who basically becomes kind of a governess uh, tutor to these two boys or I think maybe it's the one boy I forget but the point is is they're acting weird she is told by the mother that there's a ghost in the house there's something strange going on but she kind of watches the boy to and realizes that there's something more going on and he's involved and stuff like that so it it shows up in a lot of places yeah for sure
1: um Yeah, Turn the Screw. Turn the Screw, man. And the Innocence. And the Innocence, The Innocence. Yeah. This is one of my favorite horror movies and I thought since we haven't really talked about it all that much before, I would yeah. bring it up for adaptations. I like it. So, that's mine.
0: Um This is an interesting one for me because this actually this film makes me so uncomfortable, but this is the point of it. So I thought I would bring it up as a really good use of putting something that was not in its best medium as a book into its better medium in a film, which is Hellraiser. Oh,
1: interesting. Oh, okay. Yes. 1987's Hellraiser. So this is this year, wait, just, yes. this is an adaptation you like, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay,
0: okay. I just don't, I get freaked out by body horror. So Uh, it's like, I like it, but it's like, it, it wounds me.
1: Oh, yeah, we've discussed we've, this have we have we discussed this in re- regards to videodrome yes and the the vcr stomach yes yeah yeah <laughs> um
0: so hellraiser 1987 um by clive barker was based on barker's own book the hellbound heart yes um which was also a body horror book which in and of itself already sounds like you're working in the wrong medium right because like this is a very visual, like, and if you watch the movie, it's all about like this is like Saw without any of the fun and like mm, interesting. twenty years ago. Well, thirty years ago at this point. But um right. basically the the rough premise for both, um they're pretty much they're pretty faithful to each other since Barker did adapted his own book. Yeah. You know, who wouldn't? Um is this guy, um Basically who is like a, a sadist, masochist, like, you know, totally gets off on on pain and that sort of thing. Um, and it's not even that. It's like that he, he, the physical, like, just discomfort that comes with these things. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's a very, it's much more than just, oh, he likes to like punch himself in the face to get off. Like, it's very, the way it's described in the book and the movie is very complicated his yeah. relationship with sensation and like the reaction he has to it. Mm-hmm. So he,
1: yeah. What were you going to say? No, I was just, I'm just basically just Spirit. like very hard with you. Oh. And, um, <laughs> he's really good about that extreme apprehension, yeah. right? Like that he makes you have anxiety, but you're also very inquisitive mm. about what's going to happen next. And, before you know it you're suddenly like like criticizing and critiquing and like self-analyzing um
0: yeah you're like where you I get react your own the way pleasure from
1: and and why
0: yeah you're like I don't yeah. want to I don't want to die you know like dissect why I reacted the way I reacted mm-hmm. um but this guy basically has been doing research and like traveling the world to find like the best way to like achieve what he wants to achieve with like physical mutilation and harm to himself and that sort of thing. So basically he finds this little puzzle box that um, the, the guy who gives it to him tells him that it is a portal to another dimension where like carnal, like sexual pain, pleasure shit is like the, the default there. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he takes it and he's like, yes, let's do this. Um, and so he does it and he uses it and he basically gets, like, the shit kicked out of him the second he uses it. He gets, like, torn apart, um, in, like, the opening scene of the movie. It's, like, five minutes in. There's, like, hooks in his face. Um, but basically, it, unless least... Yes. You, uh, yes. <laughs> it's basically these things called the Cenobites, which you all know is... <laughs> pinhead and his and his lovely band of people who are like this like um like genderless um completely like weirdly asexual beings that have like gone so far beyond in this this world of of this thing that they can no longer distinguish between pleasure and pain so they just like torture and like do all these horrible awful things um and it's just crazy awful and what happens is is that frank ends up like pulled into their world and it's you know it's like awful sex hell basically and then later um his brother and his brother's wife move into his house not knowing that the box is still in the house and the portal to this other world is still there, so it ends up getting opened, and Frank comes back, and he's like skinned alive, and he's been like flayed, but he can he can come back to to life um, if they like give him blood and stuff. So it's and it's just this. Awful, horribly gory movie that basically combines—it's
1: like a less campy version of Little Shop of Horrors. Yes,
0: (laughs) it uh, it combines gore, just awful, crazy gore, and like mutilation with like sexual pleasure, Um, because it's like sexual pleasure that like opens the box in the first place to this this horrible, horrible place. So this was a book. I think it was a book because at the time Barker couldn't turn it into a movie for some reason, so he decided to write it as a book. I think he always
1: had the intention, yeah. Um, which, I mean, the the book was like it, only like a year or two before he made the movie, yeah. which is yeah. weird.
0: And it was part of a larger volume of work that he was doing um, at the time, like, an, like a short story collection or something like that, because it's a short, it's like a novella, it's short. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it's fucked up shit. So, oh, yeah. get to the movie... And, you know, you just have the situation where you see it all, right? And the fact that this is was in the 80s and it's got bad effects has no bearing on it becoming any less horrifying <laughs> later on. Like, that scene when his, like, face is being pulled apart and he says, I don't think of that scene. And, yeah. and it's like, oh, I just want to throw up, but I don't know if that's what it is. Like, maybe I just want to die right now. Like, maybe I should just end it all. <laughs> like, it's a very, <laughs> like... It, for me, like, I get very visceral reactions to this movie because mm-hmm. it is horrifying and gross, but also, like, the way it combines with, with, you know, like, sensual pleasure and that sort of thing, and these people kind of, you know, like, sexually and emotionally getting off on, not even just, like, you know, spanking each other, but, like, total, like, body mutilation, like hooks in their faces, being torn apart. This guy has been skinned alive and it's like drinking blood and eating people. Like, it's insane.
1: It is. It's totally insane.
0: For what it was meant to do and what it was meant to be, it works so much better as a film than it does as a book. Because you're literally watching this nonsense unfold. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Yeah. And that's what's really horrifying. It's like seeing... The bits of Frank dangling off of the fish hooks after. Oh, yeah.
1: He, in the house. it's That's interesting. So, you like this adaptation and you think it's more effective just because it literally gives the visual angle.
0: Yeah, and you get all the other things you get with a film that you don't get with a book, too. You know, you get the music cues, you get Cliver's, um, you know, cinemagraphic things um you know and it's you get all the like this is something that was meant to be felt and done in more than just sitting there reading it away right like not to say I was a, as a writer like I you know books are great books are awesome um but sometimes there's only so much you can get from certain stories by reading them and this is one where mm-hmm. I feel like you will get really immersed into it by being subjected to watching it, to hearing it, to, to getting those emotional cues with the music. Sometimes
1: stories are best suited to be told on screen yeah. and not on the page. I mean, look at Twin Peaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would you, not have survived. You have to watch uh, so. that story. You can't <laughs> read that as a novel. You would not have survived. It and, even, and even the novel that was written to prep for the new series, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, is not a, a traditional novel. It's a no. collection of newspaper clippings and reports and you know yeah. some stories are just too weird yeah um, yeah cool I saw Hellraiser for the first time far too young <laughs> <laughs> I was probably 9 or 10
0: oh yeah no way too young
1: <laughs> yeah maybe 11 and maybe a little bit older but it, I, it just it was so brutal and morbid that mm-hmm. I felt I think looking back I had a little bit of Hellraiser PTSD because of it yeah um, like, and don't get me wrong, like, I, I've i always loved horror and had a morbid curiosity, but this movie really pushes you to not only explore that fascination, if you have it, but to question it as well, because um, yeah. it's all, like, right up there in your face. Pain, death, hell. Um, so, pretty...
0: And like even like the idea of your senses, because at one point like Frank gets like over like overstimulated with all the stuff that's happening, and it's like that's even for yeah. Joe, too. It's like how your body biologically reacts to different things in different ways, and you know how much can you take and that sort of thing. And it's like not a world I wanna I wanna venture down very often. Yeah. So it's a good movie. Yeah. You know, and, if you can stomach
1: and, it. Yeah, if you can stomach it. And it has a really strong sequel. Yeah. That is um really nihilistic. Yeah. Um, but, and then... And then the rest know, of the, the rest of the franchise is... Um, something. Yeah. I there's I think I haven't even seen the last two. I'm not I even sure how many. No, all. I, I have stopped, to double
0: check. I stopped after like
1: four or five... I'd have to double check. A good one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So do we want to move into adaptations that we don't think are as stellar?
0: We can because I've got one really
1: <laughs> Hit me with
0: it. Um, so this is one that you may not have known was based on a book. Um, oh, okay. and it is two thousand seven I am legend. Oh yeah. Um I I know. That. Starring, well, Craig knew, but the rest of you might not have known. Yeah, no. um, starring Will Smith based on the 1954 science fiction horror scary, scary stuff, scary stuff, scary stuff book. Dang. Um, also titled I Am Legend, and uh, it's had other adaptations before. Um, and it also is supposedly um, tied to Night of the Living Dead. Um, cause this was one of the first zombie things kind of in pop culture in the back half of the, the 20th century. Um, in this, it's kind of, it blends the idea of a zombie with like, like, like a, a ghoulish type vampire type thing. Like it's a little bit more mystical and supernatural in the way it portrays a zombie as opposed to what we have today with, you know, The Walking Dead and that sort of thing. But, um... The science fiction novel deals with a lot of, a lot of themes in it that do not, what?
1: No, yeah, yeah. Oh. I, know, I know exactly <laughs> I the like, route you're going to take.
0: Um, a lot of themes in it that do not show up
1: at all. <laughs> did you think I was going to be like, oh, I didn't sorry. know what you were doing. You
0: got really close <laughs> to the camera.
1: I did. I, I got really close to the camera. Um, but that was just because I was itching my ankle. In oh. agreement.
0: <laughs> Vigorous itching of the ankle. Yes, I agree. Yes,
1: um, yes.
0: But basically, you know, first of all, a science fiction horror, like you don't get that a lot and you don't get it done well. Uh, example being the movie that attempted to be this book on screen. Um, so the fact that it was able to to combine the idea of like a scientific explanation for their, they call them vampires, I think, in the book, but it's zombies. Um, but their scientific explanation for it and, you know, the way it deals with isolation and like the way people react, um, in a crisis such as this, which you see later in Night of the Living Dead when, you know, the white woman and the black man are forced to work together in the sixties. Um, and that sort of thing, um, you know, it's just, there's so much going on in this in this novel. Like it's not just a zombie story about a guy going around, you know, with a baseball bat ready to take on zombies. It's um about you know, there's there's things about religious um themes that go on in this post apocalyptic world. Um mm-hmm. you know, the whole existentialism of, you know, humanity and that sort of thing. And there's just like all sorts
1: of crazy scary stuff. Scary stuff, scary stuff, scary stuff. That um yeah, it has it almost has one too many themes.
0: It does. It's, I'm not there saying are, are it's, too many it's ideas. well done. It's very... It's yeah. messy. It's for sure messy.
1: But but all of it is is very intriguing, though. And it's like the exploration is sort of the point, in a way, in the yeah. original story. You know? Yeah.
0: and And sort of the end of it, too. Like, the, the, the title, I Am Legend, actually, like, you know, comes into play. Um, not just because he says the name of the book, um, but because our main character, you know, kind of struggles with the idea of whether he can, like, hate these things, whether it's their fault that, you know, they were infected in the first place, or if it's not, is it their fault for the way they're acting now that they're no longer human and all this other stuff? The movie version is, first of all, laden with uh, uh, product placement.
1: Yeah. In the world of no one. (laughs)
0: There is a lot of product placement. Mm -hmm. Um, It is.
1: Which always struck me as kind of hilarious because it's really this is what you want to communicate?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, all right, are you going for the Banksy thing where you're like, oh, capitalism? Like, no, you're literally just telling. No, you just
1: want to sell Sony. Oh, Sony. Okay.
0: (laughs) Um, But it stars Will Smith as
1: the last man on earth
0: um, and his dog.
1: spoiler the dog dies oh yeah it's a dad movie a dad yeah the dog always dies
0: um but basically it has
1: gone from this
0: very existential um philosophical post-apocalyptic zombie film to will smith runs around beating up zombies And you know there is like this inkling of emotion there because it's you know Will Smith is the last man on Earth or as far as he knows he is he is immune to this virus so like that kind of sucks because he can't even you know off himself that way and that sort of thing Um, but it really doesn't have a point like I'm trying to remember what the climax of this movie was and all I can remember is the ending is awful he dies. Will Smith yeah. dies. Um, so that happens. Uh, cause he does meet other, there are other people who show up. Like, it turns out he is not the last person on earth. Um, and they get out. Um, it's like a woman and her brother or her, a woman and like a young boy that she has picked up on the road as you do in, um, the post-apocalypse. Um, and basically, it's just it's like a zombie movie, right? And it's like not even a well done zombie movie because it's not to say that zombie as a genre can't be done well, um, even if we very are very much can, even if we are a little oversaturated with it right now. Like it can be done very well. This is not an example of of that happening, and this is also them taking kind of like what was considered the first like zombie um, piece of media, the first modern day vampire novel, and turning it into
1: this movie and that's the thing because this basically kick-started the sort of post-apocalyptic zombie Mm -hmm. sub-genre and the plot is so strong and it's so accessible and it's so easily adaptable Mm -hmm. and so when I think of I Am Legend I think of this stupid thing that happens all the time where and because I I just can't comprehend it with the, like this Hollywood studio obsessive need to completely alter source material that is perfectly fine like mm-hmm. your story is right there it's there for the taking and then you make a film that captures nothing of what the source material was going for and that's exactly what happens here because they force this stupid happy ending down your throat. Because even before he dies, it's a happy ending. Yeah. There are other people. And then, and then she's like, well, then you missed the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. No, the novel ended really shitty. Yeah. And so. The movie has its moments. And as a, like a. As a piece of entertainment, it is. It can be fun and there can be thrills and it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you just want some casual horror shenanigans, but as an adaptation I think it's just no. Yeah. A total failure. Absolutely not. Yeah. So. There's that. Good one. Thank you. Yeah. I know. That was what? 2007, 2008? Something like that, yeah. it's almost 10 years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: What a world. Yeah. So, do you have one that you exceptionally I hate? do.
1: I had one that I really really hate as a an medication <laughs> and, and that I just kind of hate as a movie. Um, and that's World War Z. Ah, while we're on the theme. It's so on theme. Yeah, it's very on theme. Um, yes. And you could tell it was going to be bad because it was one of those production hell movies, right? Yeah. Like Chuck and 800 like, years
0: if you look at it there was so many subplots that had been deleted apparently in like the oh, yeah. post-production they cut out so many things yeah um so there's that
1: so yeah so the original novel by max brooks is very well received very well acclaimed and it's it's very good it's very fun It's presented as sort of one of those fun, untraditional novels, like a dossier, a collection of reports and emails and text messages from a number of people around the globe who um, are journeying with and fighting back and trying to survive this zombie apocalypse. And then the film, all of that is cut and there's just this one, it's just Brad Pitt and um, (laughs) the... And his pals. That actress from The Killing, who is very intense and cold, and I never remember her name, um, running around. Yeah, and I get it. Like, it's hard to adapt the multiple viewpoints thing to to screen, especially when you only have whatever two hours, two and a half hours to make your movie. You want to be more focused, and they tried to still do the globe trotting aspect of it, but the novelty of the whole zombie apocalypse on a grand scale thing, like how would the governments handle it? How would the military handle it? Wears off really quickly in this movie. And then it's just the same sort of like derivative, poorly constructed, like regular mission impossible type action movie and sprinkled in with, you know, obviously moments of horror, but yeah, Yeah, I, it's, and it's just,
0: I had to go see it because I had a cousin who made me go see it when he was like staying at the house and my mom was like, go to a movie with him. And I was like, uh. and then he picked <laughs> that and I was like, Oh, for God's sake. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you want to, it wants to touch on these things, right? Like the, the power of familial love through the post apocalypse. And, and it, it had a love triangle set up with what's his face from lost and the wife, and they cut that oh, out. yeah. They, like, cut his character out of the movie completely. Like, that mm-hmm. was going to be a thing. And they were like, nah. Um,
1: and, well, and she was so underused, too. Yeah. I feel like she had more scenes that were cut. Oh, yeah. Because most and, of the time yeah. she just walks around gripping a cell phone, waiting for Brad Pitt to call. On, on the boat or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. like use your use your people use your talent
0: that's the thing is it's like yes the mission is that like oh they're trying to find a cure or like an anti whatever but it's like what is it that you're actually trying to do to to abate the situation Mm -hmm. um they send brad pitt to go look for some shit in like israel or wherever the hell he was jerusalem
1: but so even that right this very sort of simple storyline and version of the story ends up being really hard to follow because there's no natural flow between the scenes Mm -hmm. because you can tell that they've rewritten and reshot and cut so much. Yeah, it was so weirdly put together. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, well, if you want to whittle things down to just one story, you have to construct it so that we know what's happening. And most of the time you don't.
0: (sighs) And I think... (laughs) The broad theme here with both the ones that we picked in this is that Hollywood doesn't know how to do a zombie movie without making it like a total like cash cow and like turning it into the most digestible
1: blockbuster it can and ignoring like the nuances of the genre that you
0: do get from the source material.
1: Good zombie movies are almost always low budget indies now. Yeah. 28 Days Later. Amazing. 28 Days Later. Fan-fucking-tastic. Um... Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I love that movie. Horror comedy, but excellent, still amazing, really well done.
0: And we had to watch it really in my movie. film class under the context of the white male crisis of the nineties. So there you go, <laughs> for for themes and and topics.
1: That's awesome. I would have I, get... I would have loved to have watched Shaun of the Dead in the film. Yeah, class. we
0: watched it in conjunction with Fight Club. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was nice those to- two movies in one unit. <laughs> um, but yeah I mean people don't know how to get zombies anymore without it turning into massive mm. amounts of cliches, action movies and
1: No, you know. yeah and this- Yeah, and and, and and then because it was so big budget, right, so they could bring in, they want to make it this big thing, they want to bring in the widest audience possible, they alienated so much of the horror fan audience because they cut out so much gore and tension and horror. And it's like, that's what the people who care about these movies are coming to see. Like, why do we want a bloodless zombie movie? Yeah. I mean, the only bloodless zombie movie that works is night of the living dead because it was the 60s first zombie movie. (laughs) Yeah. And it was 68, not the first zombie movie. Please do not think that is what I meant. It is the first <laughs> zombie movie of what we currently think of as As zombies. the zombie movies, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and, you know, and that's totally just something that they've done on purpose, right? It's not even that. It's like, oh, Hollywood's stupid. It's no, right. this is what they whittle things down to because they know what's going to get them the audience that they want. Um, which sucks. And it sucks that we as a society continue to give into it by going to see these movies and giving them money <laughs> and not giving them to the indie movies and the things that don't come out of massive studios. But what can you do? Yeah. It's a larger issue.
1: It is a larger issue. One we don't have time for here.
0: No, because we, oh God, because we will not go to two hours. Um,. Yes,
1: I'm good. Those were mine. I'm set. All right. Um,
0: So yeah, kids. um, If you have any, those of you who I'm pretty sure are out there, uh, if you have any you like, you don't like.
1: We have a silent following. I know they exist. Which is that you're shy? I think you're shy. I think you're shy. I think that's what it is. It's okay to be shy. Um, Just don't be stalking us. You can be silent. Just don't be stalkers. Or if you're gonna be a stalker, be louder so like I or know when to expect be a stalker, you. Be louder so I can be like, hey, what did you think of the last episode? Um, Why no? I'm in the bathroom right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but so yes, uh, if you have any that that you like, didn't like, um, any that we missed, there's a bajillion out there. There's obviously big ones that we didn't mention, like The Exorcist and American Psycho and Psycho, and all these others that were. Books before they were movies. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Land. Carrie. Carrie. Don't look now. It. Frankenstein. Um, The Mist.
1: It. Mist.
0: All of it. Um, All of it. So, yeah. Uh, send us those if you should sort of bl- 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 desire. You can do that at... We'll start with Twitter. Twitter is splatterchatter666 minus the vowels uh, or you can just search splatterchatter666. We still come up if that's too complicated. Um, email is splatterchatter669 at gmail.com emphasis on the nine because we locked ourselves out of the other account. Um, <laughs> we now have an Instagram which is just splatterchatter666 Yay! with the vowels on the Instagrams. Uh, Craig's blog is splatterchatter666 blogspot.com. We also have a Tumblr splatterchatter just Um It would, you know, help if we wanted to be uniform, but, like, we don't want to. Um, so those are all the places where you can hunt those things down. Um, our next episode is hopefully going to be... And most
1: like, everything is linked on yeah, the everything, other accounts. Everything if links you find itself, one, you'll probably find links to the others. And they
0: all link to iTunes, ultimately. So that That's is nice. the source.
1: Oh, oh yeah, and speaking S. of iTunes, if you think about it, please give us a rating and a review over there. If you don't want to write a review, we'll just take the stars. Yeah, I'll take stars.
0: Good, like, four stars, not like two
1: stars. Yeah, don't come that with us. With those two uh, I, stars.
0: I want a lot of stars. Um, <laughs> but our, our next episode will hopefully be our mid-ish season uh, review recap. General screaming about Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah. Ironically, Miss um, Mel is going to be visiting me in D.C. this weekend, mm-hmm. but we're not going to be able to record because we won't have the software.
0: Because the software is on my desktop, which does not travel easy. Um, and also, it'd look like a major tool if I pulled up in Craig's apartment complex and logged out my Just
1: imagining you lugging down the street your yeah. your right, desktop I'm here.
0: Computer. Hey. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look for that next week. Next week could mean anything to you. I mean, this is going to go up this week, being like a few days after we've recorded it, but who knows? I, I, um, so look for it definitely before episode eleven of Twin Peaks, part eleven. Put it that yeah, way. For sure. Um, That'll be next
1: because you yes, we didn't have time to do. I wanted to do our Jaws episode for the Fourth of July. Yes, yeah, so I was
0: thinking that too. But then I went to
1: Iceland. So. He did go to Iceland.
0: The other thing, my one of my big Fourth of July movies is uh, The Bay, which oh, takes place Bay. during Fourth of July as well, um, which really we good. we mentioned in our good found footage under the under the good found footage films of our found footage. Um, episode i believe i think we did maybe i'm dreaming that
1: but it's good either way yeah. that seems like a long time ago but i believe you yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I don't have enough information to contradict you sure. about the Bay at any point so um, I, mean, I, I recommend the bay again right now yeah the bay
0: with a with a y not an e at the end not, i mean
1: you could have one of those and i would recommend you know everyone should have a person um I just write a parody horror movie of the bay the called bay. the bay
0: Which doesn't work because it's so obscure that like they'll be like, actually no, it was a parody of this independent found footage film called the Bay. The
1: Bay. You know, the only person on Earth. Okay, no one is going to distribute this.
0: The only person on Earth who would appreciate that would be David Lynch.
1: Yeah, listen,
0: we'll tweet it at him, and he'll send us the sheep in response. (laughs) The sheep with half of it shaved and half
1: of it shaved. Um, There's, like, a message shaved on the other side in the wool.
0: It just says, like, corn or something. Like It doesn't say
1: anything, like, super. It just says motion.
0: Motion. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So that's what we've got coming up on the, uh, the pipeline, as I say. There's a person I worked with who used to say that all the time in terms of, like, marketing stuff we had to do. And I used to hate it. She'd be like, "So what do we have in the pipeline?" And I'd be like, "Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up." Shut up. you
1: have adopted that? I was saying it for a while on the show and pipeline? now you're saying it. Yeah. yeah. No, she used
0: to say it and I avoided it because I hated hearing her say like, "Oh, like what's in the pipeline in the for right. the for the Twitter, for the library." And I was like, I'm just not going to tell you because I don't like the way you asked.
1: Like nothing. There's nothing left. There's absolutely nothing. I deleted all the same. Sewage. Sewage is in the pipes. <laughs> God. What? God. I'm on the toilet. <laughs> so, yeah. That's where we are, kids. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. So, um, be looking out for that. Get in touch with us on social media. Rate and review us on iTunes. And until we talk to you guys next... Be sure to keep up the creep. Mm -hmm. And for now, we will say adios, au revoir, and gaspada.